The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our scripture portion today is from Luke chapter 9 and verse 28 onwards. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up, went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. pray together. Father in heaven, this, this is a glorious account who is sufficient for these things, talking about this. I pray for your help for us all, for me, and for all of us here, that we would be strengthened by the power of your Spirit in our hearts to behold the glory of Christ by faith and see in Jesus your glory, that we might worship you through him and treasure you in him and follow Jesus accordingly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is the account of the transfiguration of Jesus, and the text says it took place about eight days after these sayings. Verse 28. What sayings? Verse 20. Last week's text that Paul Delahunt preached. Last week's text, verse 20. These are the sayings. That Jesus is the Christ of God. Peter's confession. Verse 22. Jesus' words. Says, Peter, you're right. But the Son of Man, the Christ, must suffer and be rejected and be killed and rise from the dead. That saying. In verse 23, after Matthew says, Peter responded, Well, that's never going to happen. Over my dead body, are you going to die? Remember? And Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus went on to say, Peter, disciples, 
If anyone would follow after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, I'm going on the path of suffering and death in Jerusalem on the way to resurrection and glory. You want to follow me? There's only one way to go. With me. Through suffering, self-denial, rejection, into glory. Those sayings. Those are the sayings. Peter didn't have a category for a Messiah who would be a loser. Peter's, you know, he's, Jesus, you're the winner. You come as savior and king, saving your people, judging your enemies, and, and all the people are going to flock in the street, and it's all going to be beautiful, and the kingdom's coming right now, and we're going to live with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Peter didn't have a category that Jesus would be killed by those he came to save. Or that he'd be killed by those he came to judge. And likewise, Peter didn't have a category that following Jesus, the Messiah, meant following him into our own sufferings, our own self-denial, following Jesus into eternal glory. He just didn't have these categories. And I can't blame him. We wouldn't have these categories if Jesus didn't teach us so. So Peter's shaken by these things, these sayings of Jesus, assuming all the disciples are shaken. And yet in verse 27, I'm still in last week's text, Jesus says this. I'm going to pick this up at the end. Jesus says this word of assurance. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So some of you disciples, before you die, you're going to see the kingdom of God. Park that thought now. (laughs) My outline is simple, just follows the flow of the narrative. Point one, the transfiguration of Jesus. Point number two, the conversation with Moses and Elijah. Point number three, the commendation of God. And then after that, we'll close. Just one thing to note, throughout this sermon, I could not help but reference and pull in Matthew's account of the transfiguration and Mark's account of the transfiguration when those were helpful. That's Matthew 17 and Mark 9. So I'll be referencing those as I go. So number one, the transfiguration of Jesus. So our text begins as Jesus is going up onto a mountain to pray, taking with him the inner core of the 12 disciples, Peter, John, and James, and Verse 29 says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, 
and his clothing became dazzling white. What happened? Both Matthew and Mark use the Greek word metamorpheo. Sounds like the word metamorphosis, right? Transfigured, transitioned. Jesus was metamorphosed from the Jesus that walked up the mountain with Peter, John, and James into, here it is, the description of the change. On the way up, his face looked like yours and mine. His face looked like Jesus. But now, verse 29, his face is altered. Matthew says, his face shone like the sun. You know what the sun looks like. His face changed into the sun. Shining like that. And moments before, he, he wore a rough tunic, probably a little worn out. But now his clothing, quote, became dazzling white. Mark's account says, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In other words, otherworldly white. Jesus, what you're wearing is not from this world. Matthew says, his clothes were as white as light. So, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, born in the flesh by Mary, Son of Mary, is brilliantly displaying the glory that he had from the foundation of the world and what is unique and a pointer to his glory for all eternity is this glory of God is in and shining through the God-man Jesus. Human, divine Jesus glory. It ought to take your breath away. Didn't this happen to Moses too? We think what didn't something like this happen before? Let's take a look. Let's compare the transfigure of figuration of Jesus to what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai. It's in Exodus 34. You can turn there. God had raised up Moses to lead the people of Israel out of their bondage in slavery in Egypt. And Moses led them on the exodus through the wilderness toward the promised land. And I won't get into all the details, but for a second time, Moses went up Mount, on Mount Sinai to, to receive the Ten Commandments from God to instruct the people and how God wanted them to live for his glory. And Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and he's thinking, Lord, before I go down to these people again who are stiff-necked and rebellious and sinful, Moses says to God, I want to know you more. 
verse 18, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. God answers. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But then God said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Moses, if I show you my face, you're going to die. Too awesome, too glorious. So what God does is I'll show you a glimpse of my glory. So God hides Moses. You know the account, maybe, probably, many of you do. God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock so that he wouldn't die from seeing the glory of God in in God's face. God uncovered him as, as God caused his glory to pass by with words and glory. And Moses gets this glimpse of God's backside as he's going by. <laughs> and it's awesome and it's glorious. And I'll read it in just a second. But after that exposure of the glimpse of God's glory. Moses didn't know that when he had come down from the mountain that he was glowing. He was glowing with the glory of God. This is Exodus 34, 29. He didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So Moses' face is glowing with the glory of God that he had caught the glimpse of the backside of when God passed by and proclaimed his name. What, what is this glory? It's the glory that passed by. This is what it was. This is what it is. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is what's shining off of Moses' face as a dim reflection. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This this is the revelation of the glimpse of the glory of God that God granted Moses. If I were to sum it up into two, if I were to sum it up into two word pairings, the glory of God is a, He's a God of grace and He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of love and a God of justice. He's a God of salvation and He's a God of judgment. 
Don't let anybody tell you that the God of the Old Testament is the angry God of judgment. It's not true. One God. Salvation and judgment, love and justice, grace and righteousness. Same with Christ. Paul pointed this out last week. There's not two Jesuses, one who's come to save and one who's come to judge, who's going to come again to judge. One Jesus. (laughs) Just the glory of God and the glory of Christ, this mingling of what we would think of as conflicting attributes and values, all perfectly harmoniously knit together in the God, gracious, awful in his justice, merciful, and will judge wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and forgiving, and satisfying his justice in Christ Jesus in the gospel. Moses' face is shining with that glory. And the people see it and they go, they're afraid. The presence of God is on them. It's just a glimpse. Is this the same thing that happened to Jesus? It's the same glory of God, the glory of the triune God, but no, it's not the same as the transfiguration. In Exodus, Moses' face was shining with the reflective light of the glory of God's presence and beauty and attributes. That the brightness of God's glory continued to radiate off of Moses' face when he left the presence of God because it was so awesome and powerful. I mean, to say it another way, the light on Moses' face is like the light of a, of a glow-in-the-dark object. You know, it's in the light, it absorbs the lumens, and then it can be taken away from the source of the light, and it glows for a while, and then it, and then it fades away, like the shine on Moses' face. Or to say it another way, the the glow on Moses' face was like the light of the moon. The light on Moses' face was a reflective light. You know, the moon doesn't have its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. So the, the shine on Moses is not the shine of the sun itself. It's the reflection of the glory of God. I say all that to say this, to be really clear. At the transfiguration, the light of the glory of God shining off of Jesus' face and through his body is the light of the sun. God himself, very God of very God. It's not a reflection. It doesn't fade away. He is the source, not the moon. He's the sun. Point number two, the conversation with Moses and Elijah. Luke 9, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, 
who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah. Moses, arguably the most, the greatest man in the Old Testament. His name occurs 767 times in the Bible. He's God's appointed man to lead the people of Israel on the Exodus and took 10 plagues and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. And but Moses, by the power of God and his saving grace, brought the people out of bondage. So Moses, Moses, lawgiver, prophet, judge, intercessor, shepherd, mediator of the old covenant, that's Moses, in glory, conversing with Jesus. Elijah, he was one of the greatest of the many prophets of the Old Testament. And during his lifetime, the worship of Baal was spreading like a spiritual cancer throughout Israel, demeaning the glory of God, the name of God, and destroying the nation. And they grieved Elijah, so he burned with a fervent zeal for the glory of God and his whole ministry was dedicated to upholding the honor of God in, in his prophetic pronouncements and in his awe-inspiring miraculous defeats. Most memorable of which is his defeat of the false prophets on, on Mount Carmel. I don't have time to retell it. Moses and Elijah meeting with Jesus in glory after Jesus' transfiguration, shining like the sun. So what's the significance of this meeting? First, a common summary phrase referring to the whole of the Old Testament scriptures is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Can I refer to the Old Testament? What do you say? You say, well, the law and the prophets say. So here, Moses represents the law, first five books of the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets, assumed is the, is the poetic literature in between, the Psalms. The significance here is that Moses and Elijah represent the witness of all the scriptures, the Old Testament, to the glory of Christ Jesus as the fulfillment of all that was promised. Say it another way. In Moses and Elijah... The whole Old Testament is bearing witness that Jesus is the Christ in fulfillment of the scriptures. Old Testament law was that a testimony to be established as true needed two or three witnesses. Here you got the embodiment of here you have Moses and Elijah the embodiment of all the scriptures, bearing witness that Jesus is the Christ. 
the significance of their appearances, as Jesus says in John 5, 39, when he says, the whole of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, quote, bear witness about me. Secondly, the significance can be seen in the subject of their conversation. Did you notice that? What are they talking about? They spoke of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Departure. The, the word in the original is the, is the Greek word for exodus used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They spoke about his exodus, which, of, which he was about to, comp, to accomplish at Jerusalem. So Moses and Elijah, bearing witness that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, are also bearing witness to his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, namely, just what Jesus said. He's going to suffer and be rejected and be killed in Jerusalem. And after three days, rise from the dead. That's what they're talking about. This is why. Remember, I, I preached this last Easter. Jesus' conversation with the disciples, bewildered disciples, on the road to Emmaus, remember after the resurrection, they didn't know that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so Jesus reminded them of the law and the prophets, how the scriptures foretold that the coming Christ would suffer and die. Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, revealing himself to them that he had really risen from the dead. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, his death, and enter into his glory, his resurrection? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about his departure that he will accomplish at Jerusalem, namely his death followed by his resurrection into glory. And now, verse 32, Peter, you know, if there's any gap in any conversation, I think Peter's the one to jump in and say something. Verse 32 reveals the disciples fell asleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him 
And, and Peter blurts out, I say blurts out because Luke tells us he didn't know what he was talking about. Master, Jesus, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we can all kind of huddle up. We've got three godly men here. This is going to be great. And before Jesus could respond to Peter, God the Father did. Point number three, the commendation of God. Verse 34, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So the cloud of God's glory is coming down. Peter's, as he's talking, the cloud's coming in. And verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Remember, God spoke similarly at Christ's baptism, but it was a little different. I'll tell you how it was different. At Christ's baptism, God said similar words to Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Catch the difference? Here, the voice is coming for the disciples to hear. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. He's a third witness. God the Father. Icing on the cake. Case closed. Law and the prophets pointing to Jesus who save through suffering and then enter glory. Now God the Father affirming, commending Jesus as his chosen one, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to him. Listen to him when he teaches about his sufferings. Peter, listen to him. As he speaks about his future glory, listen to him as he teaches about God. Listen to him and obey all that he commands. Listen to him. He's my one. He's the one. And, and you know why the account shifts like that and why Peter's idea was a dumb one? Elijah, Moses, gone. There's one to listen to. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ. Listen to him. It's all about him, Peter. This meeting wasn't about three guys getting together like an Old Testament survey celebration of the heroes of the Bible. This is about the one whom all the Bible points to. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the promised Savior, and the promised King coming to save his people, and coming to reign with justice forever and ever. 
Matthew's account closes like this. Matthew 17, 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. If you see yourself at all in Peter, missing what Jesus is talking about so many times, like I do, I am very encouraged that this Jesus, the sun, a minute ago, the sun shining from his face and light and glory, he's back in his humble state now. Verse 7, disciples are down on their faces, terrified. Verse 7 says, but Jesus came and he touched them. He didn't flick Peter off like a tick. Get out of here. Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's the point. Our text says, Jesus was found alone. Lord, give us eyes to see. The transfiguration is a breakthrough of the divine glory of Christ. As I said, the glory he had from all eternity, and now having put on flesh a foretaste of the glory yet to come for himself when he comes again to consummate the kingdom. We, we will see that glorified Jesus in human flesh, the glory of God emanating from him when he comes and establishes the kingdom with all his glory. I, I have, I think I'm going to put these in the newsletter so you can think about them more, but I'm going to give you these four points as I close The witness of the apostles at the transfiguration reinforces their credibility and trustworthiness of their testimony. I mean, you know, I say this. John, he begins his gospel with this. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when John is writing about Jesus, he said... I've seen. I know what I'm talking about. Peter, similarly, in his second letter, says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And Peter and the other disciples are going to stick with the testimony that Jesus is the Christ even when they are killed for it. We've seen. Having seen, take up your cross. Makes total sense. Number two. That this is incredible now. We by new birth, 
Regeneration by the Holy Spirit of God from the gospel, from the gospel have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus by faith. That's what it means to become a Christian. God does this miracle where Jesus is no longer seen in our eyes as an ordinary human being, but as the Son of God, the Christ, in the flesh, with the glory of God shining forth from his face. For God has said, let light shine out of darkness, and he has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's amazing. Number three, the transfiguration is a foretaste of the glory yet to be revealed in us. As the glorified God-man Jesus is a preview of his own glorification, so also it's a preview of, the, of our glorification that awaits us when Jesus returns for us and establishes the new heavens and the new earth in his kingdom. And in the kingdom, we will see Jesus as he is in all his glory with our eyes. But we won't just see. We will be transformed into his image. We will become like him with a glorified body like his. Matthew 13, 43 says, and we will shine like the sun. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Light. Glory coming off of Jesus and light glory from Jesus coming into us and shining forth forever and ever and ever. Lastly, the transfiguration is a foretaste of the glory of Christ at the consummation of the kingdom. I've said this, I'm just ending with it. It's a preview. The glimpse of Jesus in Revelation 1, 16. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Remember... Verse 27 that I mentioned, I said I was going to pick it up at the end. Here's where I want to pick it up. Remember Jesus said 
to assure the disciples, truly, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus showed Peter, John, and James eight days later the kingdom of God, but he didn't show them a glimpse of streets of gold or mansions of glory. He showed him himself and his glory. Because to see Jesus in his glory is to see the kingdom of God. He is the king. He is the treasure. Revelation 22, 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. A glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth and us in the new kingdom. One more. I'm saying to see Jesus is to see the heart, the essence of the kingdom yet to come. And the city, the new Jerusalem where we're going to live, heaven forever. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus, who suffered and died and rose from the dead to bring us to God. It's amazing. We're going to pray. I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray a few things. And I'm going to, we're going to have a little bit of silence and you pray. And then Chuck's going to come up and close us. Father in heaven, this text is utterly amazing. It is a glimpse into heaven, glimpse into your glories. Grant us grace that we would see the glory of God in the face of your Son, Christ. Grant us faith to listen to him all that he says and to trust him in all that he is and thereby grant that grant us grace to follow on the road of suffering and self-denial into glory grant us grace to follow Jesus treasuring, treasuring him Christ you God more than anything and any promised good or joy or happiness or comfort that this world can throw our way. May we see, may we see your glory and worship and treasure you. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.